Hi everyone, Duncan Fletcher here. Welcome back to another conversation as part of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Today we're having a conversation with Dr. Chelsea Hayward. The focus of our conversation is on improving the effectiveness of athlete activism. Dr. Hayward is on the Players Coalition leadership team where she works with the Players Coalition to help athletes drive systemic change. Along with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn, we have a fascinating conversation where we understand how powerful athletes can be in changing policy through engagement in the political process. We hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring, which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure. It's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out AuraRing.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Hi, everybody. Duncan Fletcher here for PADS, the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Uh, I'm here with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. And very happy to have Dr. Chelsea Hayward with us today to talk about issues pertaining to social justice. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Steph, how are you feeling today? You ready to rock? I'm ready to rock and roll. Beauty. Let's jump into it. One of the first things that we usually throw at folks here, Chelsea, is we have a conversation around, you know, what, you know, where did you grow up? How did sports kind of come into your life? And, you know, how did you kind of find yourself where you find yourself today? So I grew up in Southern California, so biasly I see it as the mecca of sports in the United States, because we've got essentially two of every professional sports team, um, at least now, obviously that's ebbed and flowed over the years. But I played sports as a youth, from soccer to volleyball, and then um, in college, actually, I was graduating a semester early and had taken care of all of the um, GE requirements super early, so I had a ton of electives to play with, and my last semester had a sports appreciation class where we just learned about all things sports. And from there, um, we had a guest speaker come who actually ended up leading to my first internship in sports, as well as a guest speaker who spoke on the sport management program, the graduate program at Long Beach State. And so from there, I took both my professional and extended educational pathways forward. That's phenomenal. And what was your sport out of curiosity? Or were you kind of, you have a finger in everything? Um, so I played soccer for six years, but my passion was really around volleyball, which I actually I don't know how long I played there, but I played in high school and then I played club in college. And that was really, um, I think, my, my main passion. And so my little claim to fame is I played um, after we graduated in a league where some of the beach basketball, the best beach volleyball is in Southern California. And I played in a league um, in Huntington Beach where I blocked Misty May and that felt great, but I don't usually tell people that she had just had a baby. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, volleyball was one of those sports where it hurt too much every time it hit my arms. And that's like the saddest thing to say, but it's the truth. Like every time it just, it hurts so much. I was like, wow, this is, 
this is far harder than it seems. So I totally respect the grit you got to have to be a volleyball player. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a, and your, in your pathway obviously is a little bit unique in that you've sort of gone through the academic route. And, and I'm just curious, what was some of the things that you were researching when you pursued your PhD? So it was actually an EDD, so an education at Rossier at USC. Um, but originally I wanted to extend my dissertation to focus on starting a public charter school that educated children through sport. So I've always, I'm not exactly sure when this started, but I've always seen sport as sort of a Trojan horse to get things through to people who may not necessarily have been willing to either accept that information or had access to that information or whatever. Um, and so when we started our dissertation process, I realized I didn't know anything about charter schools. And so they told us to have connection to an issue that we either had influence over or, um, or connection to. And at the time I had just started um, with Players Coalition. And during that weekend of our dissertation selection process was the weekend that the president called the NFL players SOBs. And so the group chats are going off about what everyone's going to do. And I'm like, hey, I have influence and access in this space. Why don't I dive deeper here? And that's really what kicked it off. That's phenomenal. And you obviously mentioned the Players Coalition. Maybe if you don't mind, give uh, give us a little bit of rundown on what the Players Coalition is and what your role is there. So I'm on the leadership team at Players Coalition. And it's essentially a 501c3, 501c4 organization that advocates for um, issues of social justice and racial equality. Within four pillars, there's criminal justice reform, police and community relations, education, and economic advancement. But unique to other social justice uh, organizations, Players Coalition is completely athlete-led. So all of the decisions we make, all of the initiatives we get behind come from either the passion points of our athletes or from some of our subject matter experts flagging, and then our athletes aligning with, again, their passions. And so it was founded in 2017 um, by Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins, who had both done a ton of work around the social justice space and had looked around the league to find other guys doing other things as well. And so with our, our founding task force board, we then launched particularly in the NFL, but then have since expanded to over 12 professional sports leagues. And I was going to ask you, as as you got involved with the Players Coalition, like you said, it's kind of unique in that it's a it's an amalgam of, of different players in different leagues, all kind of under one umbrella, pursuing social justice issues. What was some of the things that surprised you as you got involved in this initiative in terms of the 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 mindset and how athletes viewed their engagement in this kind of work? Did anything come out of that that sort of surprised you, or maybe that you weren't expecting as you began to engage with the Players Coalition? Um, I'm not sure if I was surprised as much from the perspective of the athletes because you're working with elite professionals who want to be elite in every arena of their life. And so just as they would on the court or on the field in the social justice arena, they want to be the best. They want things to happen quickly. They want to make sure that the opportunities that they've been allotted, they're able to extend that to others. But I think what was most surprising was actually from the impact perspective. And so when our athletes would get involved in issues, we'd see change accelerate much more quickly than it had been, had the grassroots groups um, been organizing on their own. And so one example I always give is that Anquan Bolden was working on some voting reform issues in Florida. And he had, um, they'd been trying to get a meeting with this elected official for like six months. And then Anquan came in and they had it in weeks. And we'd seen that model repeated over and over in Boston and LA and Philly, where athletes would come in and things would happen within a matter of days or weeks versus the month of months or years something had been uh, advocated for. 
That's really interesting when you think about the power of the of the platform and the power of the jersey that these athletes are able to bring to the table in order to, like you said, move the needle that quickly. That's fascinating to hear. Uh, and I think it kind of it, it, it kind of speaks to how potentially impactful athletes can be in the space. Definitely. And I think just to add there, um, the reason why, which I think is sometimes overlooked, is because elected officials are people too. And so they have things that drive them and motivate them. And whether that's getting reelected, they understand that when an athlete comes to the table, they're probably coming with a lot of attention, whether it's their followers or the media or whoever's looking to see what they're doing off the court is also paying attention to the issues that they um, subject themselves to. But there's also that fan perspective. A lot of these elected officials, especially if it's in the city that the athlete plays in versus their hometown or their college, um, they want to be in good graces with these individuals because there could be, again, political aspirations there or just personally, whatever the reason being, we recognize that, that elected officials are human too. And so pairing them with these athletes who have um, like-minded or maybe sometimes uh, a little bit more of a progressive stance, they're able to hold these elected officials accountable in ways that other individuals aren't, not necessarily always to a fault of the elected official, but just sometimes uh, as the cards end up falling. You, you talk about the, the power that these athletes have and the power of sport and the individuals that are participating in this conference, the athlete development specialists are often the ones guiding those athletes um, in terms of their interests off the field, off the court. And so what do you say to those individuals, how to properly inform and educate these athletes to use their power in a way that's going to create change? I think um, just speaking a little bit from the perspective that some of our athletes have shared, it's more of a conversation with than speaking to becomes Mm -hmm. really important. And so I think a lot of times we all get lost in this sort of um, day-to-day cycle of how we do our jobs. And so sometimes we forget that these are real issues and that some of these statistics represent individual people. And so if we're educating an athlete on these issues, it's not that they don't know the story behind it. They may just not be as well aware of the facts. And so having a conversation with them versus speaking to them from a higher level becomes really important so that they can they relate to these issues because they come from these areas a lot of the times, but also they just need to know, okay, what's the action item? Like, what do I need to do? I'm definitely on board. I empathize with this situation and I know that it's something that I have the power to. So how can I then use my platform to accelerate this change? So first speaking with them instead of to them, but then figuring out how to make their activism the most turnkey. So recognizing that while they are professional athletes, that's their main thing. And so being from these areas and being just a human in general, they have this desire to help humanity, which is really important, but that platform is what gives them this tool to accelerate change. And so they have to keep that as a priority. But if you're able to accelerate how they're able to get involved, so making sure that everything's outlined in a very clear briefing document, making sure that all of the um, people that are trying to get to them, you're sort of serving as a buffer to make sure that what information gets through or what individuals get through, everything's clear, concise, the asks are realistic, and getting on their plate things that they can execute quickly becomes really important because um, from our perspective, the, the quicker we can get things turned around, the more motivated our athletes stay as well. And that becomes important because a lot of these issues are super long-term. So whether it's a, a short-term win that you can help them get, or even just like a meeting that can count as a short-term win versus overthrowing an entire system. And so third, I would say then setting that level of expectation 
becomes important so that they know that we aren't just going to abolish abusive practices tomorrow, that there's a long-term play here. And I think that's so important because, uh, you know, individuals want to get involved at various levels. So being able to provide them with the information and education in totality so they can make an education, educated decision in terms of how they want to get involved, I think is key. I know that there was um, a few years back, Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long um, not only met with with officials, but they also did ride-alongs really to educate themselves on the topics that they were um, speaking about. So I think, as you said, the education is key and, and understanding the complete picture. So they're getting involved in something that they have a background and they know the commitment moving forward. Yeah, that alignment with something you actually care about is also really important to flag. You can't expect everyone to get behind every single issue. And that's okay because there's enough issues to go around. So when an athlete finds something that they're passionate about, that's where you really want to spend the most time and resources finding ways in which to support. And from there, recognizing too, which we take that responsibility as well, we're not the experts. So whether it's policing or criminal justice reform, we're surrounding ourselves with individuals who do this work on the day in and day out and getting them vetted information, which is really important, understanding their public platform and, and the, um, the, I guess, volatility that comes with that, um, getting them vetted information that they can then go and speak at, speak to these individuals to learn from them, whether it's a ride along, knowing this is what your day-to-day looks like, this is what the statistics are surrounding, what this impact looks like, um, et cetera. And I know that you um, teach at, at two different universities and, and you talk on the topic of sport and culture and power. Can you kind of share with us um, what the framework of that class looks like and perhaps how that has um, assisted you in your role with the Players Coalition? Yeah. So I based that both of those classes really heavily in identity because you can't show up in the world if you don't know who you're showing up as is one of the things I'm always telling my students. And so understanding first, going back to that passion piece, where you stand in society, both in terms of demographic, but also in terms of mindset becomes really important because those classes aren't necessarily limited to social justice and racial equality. Um, I break them up thematically, first starting with sport and youth and understanding the role that sport has on shaping our next generation, going into sport and gender, sport and race, sport and business, sport and culture, sport and social justice obviously plays a heavy piece in all of that. Um, but having that foundational understanding and identity, and we take on projects that help the students delve deeper into who they are as individuals. So they know either who they can show up as as sports professionals or who they can show up as in supporting athletes in social justice, whatever their pathway looks like. And I think from there, beyond identity, um, understanding the cultural aspect of sport becomes really important. And so I think this framework kind of lives um, subconsciously in the, in the mind of athletes individually and then as teams as a collective but first it starts with language so understanding um, storytelling becomes really important what stories you're telling yourself about yourself what stories you're telling yourself about other people what stories other people are telling themselves about you what stories other people are telling you about other people and so on and so forth that language becomes a foundational principle for how you see the world and so understanding what that looks like consciously and subconsciously becomes important to identity And then moving on from there, you have sort of the credence of the individual, which is just that makeup of how you show up in the world. And between who you show up as as yourself and who you show up as as a part of a collective, 
um, is sort of the next hierarchy in this um, uh, hierarchy of culture that I walk my students through. But that individual perspective and that collective perspective is a really fluid space to be in because a lot of times an individual can influence a culture or a collective, but a collective can also influence an individual back. So whether that's through emotion or action, um, there's a lot that's going on at an individual level versus at a team level. And then if you take that to society, there's a lot going on with individual people and then a lot going on with cultural um, complexes. And from there, understanding that whatever action you take or emotions that influence your action, we become, we end at this place of sort of cultural culmination where everyone sees you as what it is you've acted out, either individually or collectively. So we have this idea of the Lakers because of how they've performed and what emotions they've had, or we have this idea of Tom Brady as an individual because of how he's performed or how he's carried his emotions. And that same hierarchy extends into the social justice realm of understanding what police look like from a cultural perspective or what an individual police officer looks like. And then of course, extending into recently returned citizens or understanding what an entire population of an, uh, of an incarcerated system looks like. And so just understanding that there's a flux between what happens at an individual level, cultural level, but you can't get there if you don't know who you are first and how you see the world. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that. And I think one of the things that's, uh, and it sounds fascinating. I think the thing that I kind of just initially wanted to kind of have you extrapolate a little bit further on is this concept of, you know, storytelling and narrative. And I'm just curious from your perspective, when you look at the roles that athletes play in popular culture, and as you said, that role from the individual, but also being impacted by the culture, how important is, is it for those individuals who really want to have an impact in the, in this particular space, to, to really think about the narrative and how important is that as they begin sort of, like you said, identifying who they are and what they want to communicate and how do they do that through more effectively through a narrative and through storytelling? So important. I think um, the media actually plays a big role there because we've seen sort of this system be bucked around what an athlete's power is outside of sport. So we no longer subscribe to the shut up and dribble mentality. We now based off last year, I arguably, but biasly so, would say that athletes were a major catalyst in a lot of the change that we saw pushed through um, in the wake of George Floyd. And even before that, I think we saw with the death of Kobe Bryant, how just morality and, and how we saw the world was shaped by understanding better how futile life is and how short it can be. Um, but to answer your question, I think for, from an athlete's perspective, understanding that narrative um, becomes really important because not only for themselves and how they show up in these spaces, but recognizing that these spaces existed without them. And so in coming into these new territories, it's important for them to understand what that narrative actually looks like for that system. And so one of the, um, one of our partners right now, Forward US is working on a project to change the narrative around incarcerated systems. And so rather than saying ex-cons or felons or, or convicts, changing that narrative around recognizing that these people are individual people and they may have been formerly incarcerated, but that these systems are what shaped them and molded them into the, that external perspective. But internally, the way that they see themselves, the way that their families see themselves is still as individual unique people who have skills and tools and resources that they could serve a society with if society would just let them. 
I think that's a great point, right? The idea of, you know, the language around it is obviously critical. From your perspective, when you look at um, where there maybe are mistakes made in terms of the narrative uh, perspective from what athletes are doing as they as they sort of engage in this world, do you see errors that are made, this things that can be corrected that could actually impact an athlete? And in particular, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of an athlete development specialist who's working with an athlete. How can they communicate this importance of, say, narrative and, and identifying you know, what's important to them in order to be effective as they engage in, in social justice issues? I think that onus is really on the, their, that specialist. And so it's recognizing that they, too, can sometimes get caught up in the bias of maybe an athlete doesn't understand or maybe they don't have the time. And it's giving that, that flexibility back to the athlete to let them tell them what it is that they still need further explained, what it is that they need to work around their schedule for. And so outlining a system that gives all of the tools to the athlete so that they can then put back a system in place that works for them individually, because different athletes have different schedules and different ways of engaging. And so some athletes may may prefer something super short and brief. Some athletes may want the deep dive. And so when we have our, um, a method for which we, we put out our asks is we'll put it out super simple and short. If you want more information, let us know. And then if an athlete wants more information before they're able to get involved, we can back it up with these deeper dive briefs that go into the history of the issue, go into more of the statistics. Some athletes are good with just that common narrative and understanding that this is an issue. I want to get involved, whatever it takes, I'm in. And so giving them the flexibility and being able to show up however they want to becomes important. And then from an educational perspective, giving them all the tools and resources they can, just as if you were telling your brother or your mom and not necessarily curating that any special way. Um, Because I think one thing that that often happens is sometimes athletes are underestimated. And even within the four walls of their own organization, they can be underestimated within their mental perspective that they can take on some of these issues. And so they may think that or people may think that an athlete can't fully grasp this issue or maybe didn't have all of the skills or tools to dive deep enough into this, but they really do. And they're really quick learners. And I think one of the things that's overlooked is how many circles athletes run in to where the converging ideas that they're having based off all these spaces, whether it's tech or crypto or finance or housing or all of the spaces that most of us don't spend our time in on a day-to-day can help them process information much more quickly. With regards to um, the Players Coalition and athletes getting involved, um, how do they go about getting involved? And that's part one. And then the second part is, can you share with us some examples of some of the involvement that athletes that you're working with or have worked with have done in terms of their involvement in the social justice space? Yeah, so involvement really comes from any direction. It can come athlete to athlete. So one athlete can say, hey, I think you need to do this. If you're interested, feel free to let me know and I can connect you to the right people. Or an athlete can, an athlete outside of an organization can come to an organization and say, hey, can you connect me with folks? Usually it levels back up to myself and our managing director. Um, But then it also happens at the team level. We've had engagements where we work with the community relations folks, sometimes the director of player engagement. Um, I know those names differ across leagues, but usually either the person that's in charge of community aspects or the person that's in charge of um, player relations on the team. And so from there, usually individuals will, again, connect through myself or Angela, our managing director, and then we can outline a plan that works best for those athletes. And so, again, either individually or team, that becomes important in examples there. 
become at the individual level, one of the, um, one of the biggest impacts I think we've had is we had several Patriots players a couple years back work on education reform in Boston. And so engagement can span anywhere from sort of vet to rookie status. And so the rookie status would be more just getting your feet wet and getting understanding of the issues, um, activating on social media, maybe just listening in on a call or all the way up until meeting with elected officials, which is what these Patriots players did. They went and testified before the Senate to help push forth one of those issues that had taken several years to pass in Boston, which was getting uh, more education funding to Boston public schools. And so the first year they came in, it was right at the end of the session. And so they weren't able to get that passed, but they recognized again, based off that personal identity, that this was something that aligned so much with themselves. And they recognized also their power that they didn't want to just let this fall through the cracks. And so the next year when that legislative session kicked back up, they were back and ready to go. And that actually surprised legislators because they recognized that they were here for the long haul. It wasn't a PR push. It wasn't anything that they were doing just because someone else made them. They really cared about these issues, which ended up going a long way. And then I think it was about eight months that ended up passing. Um, and that bill ended up infusing 1.4 to $1.5 billion in the Boston public school system. And so that was at an individual level where our athletes knew what they cared about, came to us. We had identified those passion points, had worked with experts to figure out within the markets that were relative to them, how they could get involved, and then outline that plan of action moving forward. Again, that was a deeper dive commitment. Um, but then at the team level, recognizing um, one of the things we've done uh, most recently was working with the New Orleans Saints on issues related to Black women. And so they wanted to dedicate their season to those issues specifically in the wake of George Floyd last year, because being spearheaded again by individual athletes, uh, Malcolm Jenkins and, and Demario Davis, they wanted to be impactful with their season. So versus wearing a t-shirt all season or just having words on the field, how would we contribute to issues that we genuinely cared about? And so at that level, the whole team got involved. And so the captains participated in a series of roundtable conversations. There was in-game activations, um, all outlining the issues to raise awareness from the public perspective, but then also challenging people from an action point perspective. If you care about this issue, here's what you can do. And then from, from back to a team perspective, individuals on the team contributed a certain amount of money. The team matched it and they ended up raising over $300,000 to support the organizations whose work they were working to highlight um, throughout the season. And so that was, again, both super deep dive issues, but then we have sometimes issues that come up super quickly and we have most of our athletes fill out this form and in that form, it outlines their markets, their passion points. And so when we have issues come up, we can quickly go to our database and say, all right, there's a racial justice issue in California specific to criminal justice reform. And we know that this athlete, these athletes care about that. Let's shoot out the ask to them. Here are the people that want more information. We get them everything that they need. Again, keeping it super turnkey, whether it's scripts or talking points, um, and then disseminating out the information that way. They advocate, they push publicly, hold that accountability on elected officials, and then it turns into change, uh, hopefully. That's really great to hear about the kind of you paying the complete picture of, of what this looks like and the attention to detail, the depth in which you guys are really thinking this through. How can um, we in this space of athlete development bring more attention and awareness? Because listening to all the different platforms and programs that are taking place, there are so many people that are not even aware 
of the work that's being done. And it's not being done at a surface level. Um, the athletes are really trying to understand the, the complete picture, the background information. How can we um, provide more exposure to this so individuals outside of the sports world are aware of, of the great work that's being done? I think just continuing to share the message. And then if those in, in positions with, that work with athletes have athletes that want to get connected, by all means, feel free to reach out. And then by word of mouth is sort of from a grassroots, I guess, perspective is how we've grown. And um, the reason why we sort of took that approach rather than sort of the traditional PR blast it out was because when we started, it was a really tumultuous time. It was at the height of the kneeling. There was a lot of controversy. There was a split in the beginning. Um, there was just so much, there were so many headlines that were distracting away from the work that the original 12 guys we started with decided that they just wanted to focus on doing the work and a credit to them for being so committed to this work to recognize that they didn't care what was going on, that they were going to keep their heads down and keep plowing. And so now we're able to tout 21 different pieces of legislation having been passed from that mentality. But I think sometimes from an awareness standpoint, it, we get so deep in the weeds that we forget to take our heads out of the sand and to, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit and recognizing all the work all of our men and women athletes have done now um, in pushing for this reform. And so I think from an awareness perspective, probably just word of mouth, but then also connection to more athletes who want to keep continuing um, to do this work. Because from my perspective, from, again, being biased, I think it's one of the best ways for athletes to get involved because there's a little something for everyone, people who want to dive all the way in head first, or people who just want to tap in every now and then, there's no judgment, no shame, because there's so much work to be done. We'll take any and any, anything and everyone who wants to get involved. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is just when you're looking at the work that's being done, um, you know, across the, the key pillars that you guys have identified, how do you speak to those athletes that maybe don't have the same shared experience? They're, they're you know, not a player of color. How do you talk to them about engaging in this and, and what would you want them to know about getting involved in this kind of work in order to have an impact? That's a really good question. Um, from, I sort of wear two hats, I guess, in this question. From the perspective that I always tell my students is first recognizing your privilege and recognizing that your privilege is something that someone else doesn't have. And so your, your um, allyship is extending that privilege to someone else. And so Privilege comes in many forms, whether a person of color or not, whether male or female or whatever position you're, you're in, you always hold some sort of privilege over someone else. And so recognizing that in order to lift up the left out and the looked over, you have to extend that. And so in this position in particular, I think extending that means as a athlete uh, not of color would be having conversations with your friends and family about these issues bringing awareness to these issues, because one of the things that actually one of the Saints athletes had brought up, um, who was a white athlete, had said that it's important for me to be involved in these conversations, because I recognize that even just by sharing this out on my social media or by people following along because I'm involved, they're getting educated on issues they never would have otherwise else. And so the athletes that follow maybe a Malcolm Jenkins aren't the same athletes that follow maybe uh, another athlete not of color. And so recognizing that power lies just even within their information sharing. And I think from a motivational perspective, it also becomes important to know what it is that they care about. So again, you don't have to get involved at every issue. So maybe you recognize that you have privilege in this area, but it's not really something you're comfortable engaging in. Usually education is a pretty good issue to get people involved in because who doesn't want to help kids? 
Um, and so that's a, a really great way to get your feet wet is just figuring out where you can fit in. And that always starts with a conversation. And so one of the things we also share is that we can't help you if we don't know where you're coming from. And so to try to be as transparent as possible as you can with us and hopefully recognizing that with the, the trust and respect that we've gained from all the athletes we've worked with thus far, um, not asking for respect, but at least giving us that opportunity to earn it with you, we can help guide you on a path that makes you most comfortable. No, that makes absolutely a ton of sense. And then when you're looking at, again, the different pillars, you know, criminal justice, education, youth justice, policing, and voting, where have you guys had the most success? Where have you seen the athletes really move the needle? Obviously, you've identified education as a key piece. You've talked about some of the things in the criminal justice space. Are those sort of where, for whatever reason, athletes tend to have more uh, more impact? Or I'm just curious what you've seen in terms of how people react to when athletes are bringing these issues up, where you actually see immediate movement on a more consistent basis, say, you know, voting versus criminal justice, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good question. So within sort of the wins, probably voting or legislative related issues, usually tied to criminal justice reform are where we've had the most impact. And that's just because that's the most tangible type of win. So the education wins that we've had, usually legislatively, there's only been that one of the $1.5 billion, but then we also count as a win resource equity. And so the grants that we've been able to contribute over $9 million in grants, again, as a, I don't think actually I clarified it first, but um, we're a free resource to players. So the way that we're a 501c3, 501c4 organization, we're able to be a grantee, but also able to grant out money to organizations and then advocate for a variety of issues. And so in being that free resource, all of our money goes back into, well, a majority of our money goes back into those communities. And so having $9 million in grants across 11 different um, institutions and markets for school resource also count as wins. But from, from that legislative perspective, we can most clearly tie, did this bill pass or did it not? And so from a voting perspective, that becomes really important. Um, and has been one of our more highlighted issues because voting reform has been one of the more pressing issues the last couple of years. So whether it was Prop 17 in California and helping uh, pass the right to vote for over 50,000 Californians or Amendment 4 in Florida, which was 1.4 million people, uh, formerly returned citizens, getting the right to vote, um, issues in Michigan or Washington or Louisiana, those are a lot easier to pass because they already existed. And so for issues like for issues like economic advancement, there haven't been the legislation that are sound enough for us to, again, because we have to pre-vet everything and make sure that we're putting our athletes in the best position. Um, there hasn't been the legislative tie-in as much as in voting or criminal justice reform. And so probably those two areas would be where we have the most successes. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So I have a very heavy question for you. Um, one would say over the last um, year plus, athletes have really used their platform to bring awareness on topics of voting, social justice, and um, the increase in athlete activism um, from the outsider, one would say has really been wonderful. But there are those naysayers that say sports are sports, keep politics, keep um, life issues out of it. What do you say to those naysayers um, when those of us that are living in the space of sport, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think that you can't separate the two. We don't ask doctors and lawyers to not have 
public opinions on issues impacting their careers or impacting their lives. So we don't ask um, construction workers or lawyers or teachers to not talk about voting, to not talk about injustices, to not talk about homelessness, whatever the issue is that they care about for whatever reason. Well, actually, I know the reason. <laughs> it's because sports <laughs> is positioned as a, as a field of entertainment. And so if you're entertaining me, it's not entertaining for me to hear your opinion. And we have to separate that notion of athletes and entertainers as solely that they're humans before they're anything else. And so understanding that they are subject to the same rights, rules, and regulations as the rest of us, which means at least in America that they've got freedom of speech. And so getting that platform, having that position and using it at their, to their advantage is really, uh, uh, I don't want to say hole in the system, but it's really an opportunity that they've taken advantage of that I think if the rest of us had the opportunity to, we would as well. And so for those people that are maybe a little bit behind the times and still stuck on athletes and sports should, should separate themselves. It's really sport globally that has the power to impact change and change systems, um, whether political or social or hierarchical. That sport acts as that interesting medium. And so without that, we wouldn't necessarily see change. I think there are so many other arguments you can make for people in, in positions of power, elected officials who've gotten to that position without that backing, without that um, politician backing and that experience. And they made it to the highest land and law. And, and we have seen that execute and maybe not positively. And so recognizing that if they're using this platform for positive change, we should be supporting them, not combating them. That's Thank really well articulated. That. Yeah. Definitely. Um, another, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Steph. Let her um, rip, Steph. Have, okay. Um, question unrelated to that, kind of switching gears again. Um, the sports externship program with Lachica Sports and Entertainment, can you share with us what that looks like, how it came about, um, opportunities for involvement? Yeah, so that's super new, actually. But uh, Lachica Sports and Entertainment is the managing group of Players Coalition. And so, what we recognized too was that some of our athletes weren't particularly ready to engage in these issues, but they still wanted to just be a fly on the wall and learn A or B wanted to get, wanted to, we're thinking about their career post professional sports um, as an athlete. And so wanted to start understanding the business side of sport. And so we developed this externship um, primarily starting with one of our track and field athletes to get that exposure. So sitting in on meetings, um, understanding the, the thought process behind how we're putting in these documents, getting them that experience so that as they're starting to make that transition, they already have a general lay of the land so that they can begin to activate and have those relationships um, moving on from their athlete career. Getting that kind of exposure is critical. Uh, I think when if you really want to understand what's going on, you got to be in the room. And I think I think we could all agree to that, that more athletes need to take advantage of obviously the taking advantage of the platform to speak to these issues that they're passionate about and they want to have an impact on, but it's also, they can use it as an opportunity to really understand, you know, what other things are going on beyond the game that allow them to identify those opportunities they can jump into whenever the game concludes for them. So I think that's a critical part of it. And getting those experiences are, are, uh, are, are massive. I did want to ask you, um, just kind of looking at the at the athlete activi activism space as a whole, 
And there's been a ton of change just over the last, you know, two years. And then if obviously you wind it back, you know, to what was sort of kicked off uh, by Colin Kaepernick, um, where do you see the space going now? Um, especially as we begin to nose up out of a pandemic, we're, we're on the other side or we're in a post uh, George Floyd murder world. What, what do you see happening in this space now? I see more of an institutional adoption coming. And so recognizing the power that athletes have and seeing how it's growing, organizations are trying to still figure out how to best utilize that. And so making sure that it's not necessarily working against them, but that they can have it working for and with their organization becomes really important. And so having that, it's all sort of, it's, we're at this melting pot of where that's happening, where people are also having this shift in consciousness based off of everything that had gone on last year. Um, or at least are willing to have the conversation if they're not necessarily deciding to change their mind yet. And so while all of that's going on, just as most mainstream processes go, there's first an individual adoption, and then there's a small population adoption, and then that population grows to maybe like a state level, and then you have this sort of global adoption. And I think we're moving into the space where we're not yet at that global adoption, and I mean across the sports world in general, not necessarily the world world but within the sports world there's across sports now especially with the rise of groups like black players for change out of the mls the black women's players collective out of the nwsl um, there are these affinity groups within sports where they're not settling for less anymore and so recognizing that they as athletes have power and they're going to continue pushing for this power even sports where the majority of athletes are not people of color like lacrosse there's still groups in that space pushing and advocating for um, the strengthening of the sports within communities of color, but then making sure that conversations and perspectives and, and organizational function is changing at those higher levels. And so because there's this groundswell of athletes pushing things forward, and because they're also tapped into the younger generation, which I think is often overlooked, we're going to see a lot of change at an institutional level. I think last year there was a lot of commitment and a lot of hype and a lot of emotion. And so we saw a lot more willingness to engage, but now we're at this point where we're seeing the sustainability of the engagement, what that needs to look like long-term and how it could, how it could go moving forward. And so moving forward, I think we begin slowly beginning to have more of an institutional adoption. And that's fascinating. That creates almost, uh, creates both opportunities and dangers in a lot of ways where the, you know, it could potentially be co-opted players could get co-opted in a way that may not be beneficial to these kind of uh, movements. So what it really yeah. is, it's kind of interesting to see that shake out or we will be interested to see how that process shakes out. That's actually a really important point that you bring up because I think as more and more people come into this space, everyone wants to either position themselves as an expert or say, well, yeah, I've technically been doing that for years. And, and it's an important distinction between community impact and social justice or racial equity work just as I, as a black woman, wouldn't claim to be uh, an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion just because I'm black. Mm -hmm. And so without having that clear distinction, it can get really dangerous. And so that's why I think it's so important or impactful for the Players Coalition to have surrounded ourselves with subject matter experts. So when these issues pop up that may seem super sexy in the public eye, they have a really catchy name and they have a really big social media following and a lot of influencer posting about them. We have this group that's able to go in and say, well, actually, if this passes, it does more harm than good. Or 
yeah, if it passes, it doesn't do a lot. So maybe we should focus our efforts on something that there could be more tangible impact for. And so recognizing that that um, distinction of credibility versus expertise is pivotal. That's really monstrous. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead, Steph. I really like what you say about tangible impact because I, I think we would all on this call agree that over the last year we have seen increase in hires um, in the DEI space, increase of funding, allocated funding um, for the DEI space. However, certain organizations might have made a hire, might have committed funds, but nothing has actually been done in that space. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, to have a space with, within the Players Coalition where tangible um, results, tangible outcomes, tangible actions are happening, I think is key. Again, uh, bravo in a sense that these organizations are trying to um, address the topic, but just hiring someone who has the title or just committing funds in, in this space, um, that, you know, that's only half the battle if the real work isn't done. Right. And, and going back to that, my earlier point of something doing more harm than good, if that individual or if that organization isn't backing the right initiatives, then you could end up five steps before you even started. And so one of the examples we've seen, there was a, a police reform bill making its way around social media, and it wasn't holding officers accountable enough. So if this bill were to have passed, then it would have been something where they could point to and say, well, see, we did this. And so then falling back on that without having to actually progress any, any farther forward. And that extends itself into any of these spaces where if there isn't the right strategy outlined, then we aren't in a position necessarily to say that we're creating change. You could be creating chaos. I think that's important. And that's what I was, uh, uh, was really thinking is that, you know, by making this turnkey for athletes and then providing them with those experts that allows them to kind of cut through the BS and really understand the implications of, of what's being developed and what's being communicated and potentially what's being put up for, uh, for as law or policy really is, it's a huge, huge thing. And then the idea that as uh, you know, we've seen it uh, just as an example, as you look at what's going on with the NCAA with respect to uh, name, image, and likeness, you have everybody that has a Twitter account is all of a sudden a branding expert. Uh, <laughs> and I think you've kind of got a, a little bit of the same uh, run into this space, or we will probably continue to see that. So for athletes to understand that they need to have the right people, the right subject matter experts is absolutely critical. Uh, whether you're looking to make a few bucks on Instagram or really you're, you're looking to have a massive impact in a social justice cons uh, uh, construct, you have to have the right people behind you. So I, I think that point is really well taken. And, and to back that a little more and just that expert will have a very detailed understanding of whatever the issue is. But going back to the earlier conversation we had about narrative change, they'll be able to help combat some of the stigma that's normally internalized. And so um, I think a good example there is some of the work that we're fighting for in, just, in youth justice reform, whether it's raise the age legislation or um, ending juvenile life without parole. And so in some states, you could send a kid to prison for the rest of their life at 16, 17 years old. But we know through research, through some of our experts, that juveniles aren't, or the human brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 years old. And so then layering that on top of whatever trauma this individual is going through because of whatever system maybe their parents had also gone through. So now they live in poverty. So now they're maybe 
facing whatever other issues come up from that, getting to see these individuals um, as not necessarily victims of our system, because I think it's important not to victimize people, but getting them to understand the impacts of the systems in which they're living through is are the critical details that are sometimes missed if you don't have that expert behind the scenes highlighting and flagging that, well, if this individual, we see that with youth, the the recidivism rate is super low. So this isn't actually a problem where they'll go out and commit another crime. And just being able to point out a lot of those issues becomes really important. And that's in the criminal justice space, but going back to DEI or social justice or whatever specific it is, having those experts to flag these issues is so, so important because it can change your entire perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's obviously why we're doing the athlete development podcast series is we want to bring experts on to kind of talk this and hammer this home. So our athlete development specialists that are working day out, uh, day in, day out in the field, um, really know how to talk to their athletes about this and understand some of the ins and outs of, of a range of different issues. And obviously talking about social justice here today, I think it's critical uh, because as you had mentioned, this is a space where you walk into, if you don't have that expert support, that, um, the ability to go to people that understand what to expect when you enter into this field, you know, you can find yourself facing significant backlash, um, even though your intentions are entirely uh, are pure. And I think that's something too, that I'm sure you've seen your athletes, the people that you work with day in, day out, have to deal with that kind of backlash on a pretty, pretty regular basis. Yeah. And I think even beyond the backlash, there's the burnout. You could run yourself in circles, not knowing what direction you're supposed to be going. And so We always take the position that we aren't here to take anyone's job. We just want to make you guys look good. And so whether that's the community relations person or the director of player engagement or whoever that is, our role is to get you the information you need to support your athletes in whatever capacity the organization allows for. Recognizing too that some organizations have a lot more capacity than others. And so from that perspective, being able to point them in the direction of, hey, maybe you just need to send the athletes our way and you being that... um, uh, conduit becomes the way that they can trust in, and grow their relationship with you because they know they can still have impact even if they can't do it under the team umbrella. So whatever that looks like, being able to to be a support because that backlash is pretty real. From it's it's actually it's dwindled a bit over the the last year. Um, I think obviously the backlash that our athletes faced in 2017 was a lot more enormous, which is why they decided to just keep their head down and do the work and stay free from those distractions. But there's still backlash for some athletes getting involved in particular issues um, or even folks at the organizational level that are trying to push up at the top, but the top is pushing back down about how far they're willing to go for change for whatever reason. Um, It it can become tiresome, but it it can lead to burnout. And so recognizing that you've got a a helping hand in the Players Coalition and helping uh, garner support. That's a great point. Um, Self-care is critical, whether you're the athlete who's involved in this or whether you're the athlete development specialist looking after a team of athletes, self-care is, is, is an important component. Before we uh, wrap up, uh, Dr. Hayward, I want to ask you, where are you going next in terms of your you know, research emphasis? What is your, your focus next in terms of where you want to drive uh, your, academic, uh, your academic work? That's a really great question. I'm actually going to Africa next. Um, a couple of our athletes have been doing um, work there, and I guess in my general guise of, of improving the effectiveness of athlete activism, I've ended up extending that globally. And so supporting those athletes in uplifting African countries from a self-sustainable model, not necessarily a capital injection model, 
So making it to where these communities are building themselves up versus needing that outside influence. Uh, most people really just need access, tools, and education, and then they're pretty good on their own. But I think in the ways in which individuals um, discount athletes, we also discount societies that maybe haven't been proven to flourish as much, but you look at different countries like Rwanda or Singapore, and you see how they were able to move into, they were, they were able to move from third world countries to fully functioning societies within just one generation. And so taking a look at those models and, and scaling that work across the African continent is sort of my next direction while still staying plugged into what's going on here in the States. That's cool. And sorry, just to be clear, that that research drive that you're making, is that including or is that include a role for athletes in that process? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, it's through our athletes, actually. So a couple of our athletes um, have taken on some work in Africa to um, help economically rebuild Djibouti. And so Djibouti, Africa is the way that I like to describe it, actually, is it feels like California before the L.A. River was rerouted. And so getting that irrigation system through to where life could be sustainable in that space was critical for the development that we see here today in Los Angeles. Um, so recognizing the access tools and opportunity needed, but going in and learning from the community first what they need because they're really like brilliant, brilliant individuals. They just need the, the access or the tool or the resource or whatever it is, the missing component that they're looking for. They aren't looking for helping hands. They're just looking for information so that they can lift themselves up. And so when you look at something like bootstrap theory, I, I think I combat that a little bit because people are like, people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But if you don't have boots, then you're going to pull yourself up by whatever you've got. And that's what a lot of these countries have done. And they're fascinating individuals who have the opportunity to excel if just given, um, if just a door, one door is open in either direction. And so our athletes have gone in to utilize their social capital to then bring in um, investors and influencers who can help either craft the technology needed to help with some of these systems or help in, help develop the um, land or housing or there's a ton of different uh, avenues there. But all of the partners and resources needed, the athletes can then pool those through their social capital and then help uplift these countries so that they can thrive. The Trojan horse of sport <laughs> as an international development tool. I love it. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I'm all the way about in. I definitely drink the Kool-Aid there, but I think that <laughs> I tell my students all the time that, that sport and music are the two most powerful entities in the world. And that music is a more powerful being because of its impact on our physiology. So how different frequencies can impact our brain waves or our heart rhythms or whatever, but that if you break it down to the individual level, athletes are actually more powerful than musicians because of the impact and that reach that they're able to have um, across the globe. And that's probably a phenomenal place to wrap it up. So with that, I want to thank my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn, for participating. And of course, Dr. Chelsea Hayward, many thanks for your time and your insight today. Greatly appreciate you having a conversation with us. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. If there's anything I can do to support, just let me know. Great. Thank Thanks you. again. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And more importantly, we greatly appreciate your support of PADS. We'd also like to acknowledge the support of our global partners for their ongoing support of all of our initiatives, including the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Again, be sure to be on the lookout for information regarding live Q&A sessions. And we urge you to continue to dive deep into all of the different podcasts that we're bringing to you over the coming 
weeks. Again, thanks for your interest and for your support of PADS.